Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lameau. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is Railroads versus Sandbox, but before we get into that, Colin, do you know what I did recently? What's that? I went and saw Avengers Infinity War. <sighs> mm, so did now, I, I'm actually. Not, I, I don't want us to spoil anything on this podcast, because I'm sure our thousands of loyal listeners still have yet to see the movie, and I don't want to ruin anything, but I will say this. All 1,000 of them. Yes, well, 1,001,176. I don't know if that's how numbers are supposed to go together. Regardless. <laughs> all I have to say about this movie is that as I was sitting through the credits, my first thought was, all right, which movies do they have coming out before Avengers 4? And the only ones that are there are Ant-Man and the Wasp, neither of whom are in Avengers Infinity War, mm -hmm. and Captain Marvel, which takes place in the 90s. Right. So they literally have a blank slate with their timeline going forward. And that infuriates me for reasons that anyone who has seen the movie will probably be able to figure out. Well, I mean, considering what went down in the movie, I would have been very surprised if they set up some other movies, just because that would have to be what the movies would be about, obviously. Oh, absolutely. But I did walk out thinking, what, what is Netflix going to do at this point? Well, I mean, they're they're losing the Disney contract, like next Ooh. year, I think. So they're probably not going to have another another season of anything. Uh, there is one more season of I think Luke Cage coming out this year, and they are filming. Uh, I know this because of my work in the industry. Uh, another season of Daredevil, and I think another season of Jessica Jones was just filmed. And is coming out soon, or just came out? It just came two. out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I know at least one more season of Daredevil is coming, along with another season of Luke Cage. Mm, I didn't know that Netflix was losing the the Disney contract. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I uh, suppose. Well, I mean, that's that's uh, that's stuff for a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's for a whole other that's for a whole other thing. I was gonna say though, I was. You know, if they hadn't, I would have been very interested in seeing what their content would look like, especially since they did set it in the same world as the, you know, what the Marvel Marvel Universe was going on. Yeah, technically. It, it did kind of, like, veer wildly off a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's what happens when you've got a TV show that's trying to run alongside movies and nobody really talks between the two writers' rooms. Ah, alas, the spirit of collaboration. But you know what? Spirit of collaboration is a nice way to segue into our topic, because if you're running a game or playing a game, one thing that you need to understand about that game is the general scope of it. Mm. And that oftentimes comes down to this idea of, as a storyteller or a DM... 
Are you giving your players this wide-open world to explore as they please, or are you, as we say in the business, railroading them down a specific story? Choo-choo, ain't no stops for the plot train. I love the plot train. (laughs) But personally, I'm more of a sandbox sort of person. I mean, I guess that comes down to, and and this is something that I'd I'd like to ask you in your personal preference, what kind of video games do you most enjoy? Do you enjoy the open sandboxy games or do you enjoy the more plot heavy focused, but sandbox, uh, but, but plot, uh, you know, but plot train kind of things? Well, when it comes to games, I like something that strikes a good balance. Like, I will admit to having put a ridiculous number of hours into Skyrim. Not as many Mm. as a lot of people I know, because there are people who get wildly obsessed with those sorts of, like, open-world, you-can-do-anything games, but most of the stuff that I have come back to time and time again are these big open-world types. However, most of the stuff that actually sticks with me as a gaming experience, it's about the story, not necessarily the like, emergent sandbox sort of gameplay. Sure, sure. I could definitely see that. The The question being, from a storyteller's point of view, is how much room do you leave uh, for player margin of error? Is sort of kind of what the, the argument between the plot train and the sandbox comes down to. Whether the, the DM is flexible enough or their story is flexible enough to allow for the kind of open world crazy insanity that can go with uh, a sandbox or whether they need to kind of bring things in a little bit closer uh, along the track uh, for a a railroad, so to say. Now, I I know that I have heard railroading described quite negatively in in the in the gaming sphere have you run into that problem as well i absolutely have and Mm. i think a lot of the times what that comes down to is this idea not necessarily the reality of the situation but if you are running a more narratively linear game and your players start to notice that they don't actually have much of a choice in what they do that's bad railroading and i i would say like In terms of the colloquial understanding, that's what railroading generally is thought of as. When really, when we say it, what we're talking about is creating a narrative story experience. Sure, but it it is important to give credence to the parlance of the term itself. Um, Oh, certainly. in, In railroading, which it can be... You know, as you've mentioned, and, and you know, as I've experienced, um, an inflexibility of a of a DM can make a railroad plot feel less like an interesting journey through the countryside, and more like you're strapped into a track and moving in one direction that you cannot change. Exactly. You want to give your players the idea that they are making the decisions to follow each different step. Exactly. Which, that can actually be very difficult to accomplish, because 
with certain kinds of players, we are always looking out for, like, the little thing that we can latch onto and draw more story out of, or the weird side path that we can go down. We want to explore these worlds. Hmm. Well, it's also a question of whether the the DM really wants to make their world, excuse me, explorable. It is. Like, uh, some people honestly don't put, you know, exhaustive world-building efforts into what they're accomplishing. Um, they instead kind of prefer to focus on microcosms in the world as, um, as are associated with the player character's personal journey. So instead of going through, like, an exhaustive explanation of what the uh, Aldunian government consists of and its history, maybe they, they only mention it in passing since it happens to be... Uh, the nation that borders the nation that the players happen to be in, but it, there's a, a strong emphasis that there's nothing for them to explore in the other nation because the DM maybe hasn't put the time into developing that nation out, which is perfectly fine, honestly. When you sure. develop your own fictional world, you set the pace on how much information you're willing to put out there for your players. Some people like to build in impressive compendiums of their own fictional world. Uh, it, that's actually a fun exercise for them. And other people are really more interested in the story itself rather than the nuts and bolts of uh, this whole new world that they're building. Well, and even if you're using a world that has been built by someone else and it's got, you know, a dozen different source books that you can pull from, you're often going to run into situations where you are playing with people who either don't know or don't care to know everything in every source material and i think that is also still fine and like if you're a player who comes in and you're playing in the greyhawk setting and you know everything about that realm and your dm is trying to push you down a very specific path to get to a very specific story and you're the one trying to derail things and be like mm. ah no but i know this city is over here and in this dungeon is the magic gauntlet that will give me the power to punch my enemy's guts out it's like okay sure but that's not the story right now and right. maybe your dm doesn't know about that mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are an impressive amount of source books for a lot of games that are out right now. And it's difficult to expect that someone has the time or even sometimes the inclination to read through all of them if they don't exactly um, apply to the game that's being run. Mm -hmm. Now, in talking about Sandbox versus Railroad, we have to uh, address the strengths and weaknesses of each specific type. Oh, I think there is a way for you to lay tracks through a sandbox. We'll get to that after we kind of dig into what's the um, what the essence of a sandbox versus a railroad is, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Sure. So uh, I'll go ahead and start with a with a with you know a railroad, and then you will explain a sandbox. If that's all right, that way we can kind of trade it off. Sounds good to me. Okay. So for those of you listening that may not be familiar with the, the term railroading or what a railroad game is, 
A railroad game is essentially the idea that you are locked into a certain timeline and a certain plot. That there are certain events that you have to that you have to choose. That there may be an inflexibility of openness, but also in generality, it means that there is a strong sense of story and choices that you are uh, deigned to follow. It, it follows. Uh, it possibly follows more of a, a module esque, where there are uh, kind of codified choices that are built into the game itself, milestones that every player playing the game would be able to be hitting. Uh, and this can be as complicated, like this can be as complicated and uh, comprehensive as um, having actual dialogue out and, and uh, planning out the, uh, the ends of certain encounters or it can be as loose as saying this event will happen after this X amount of time and this event will happen after this X amount of time. But there is a certain idea that no matter what, certain things in the story will occur. And um, that's the essence of a, of a railroad plot. I think you summed it up pretty nicely there. Yeah, so on the other hand, you have... The sandbox, which is, while uh, there can still be a focus on telling a story throughout it, generally speaking, it is more inclined to give your players choice at every opportunity. Running a sandbox game takes kind of the same amount of planning as building a really solid linear narrative and putting it on rails... Because whereas when it's on rails, you have to give your characters and your players this illusion of choice, when you're making a sandbox, you actually have to give them every possible choice. Now, a lot of times we do this uh, sneakily, or we do it by improvising, and like no matter which building they go into in this town, they're going to run into one of the six NPCs that I've planned. But if you are like me and you are a certifiable crazy person and you want to create a working functioning city with more than 150 non-player characters <laughs> that can be interacted with and have their own stories and desires at any given time, then you can do that too. I, I warn you, you will if you are running a sandbox like that undoubtedly run into moments where your players still make a choice that you did not anticipate. But that is occasionally the joy and the beauty of it. Because in a sandbox, in a proper sandbox, it doesn't matter what kind of setting you're in. All that matters is that your players know that no matter where they go and no matter what they do, there will be something interesting to do sure unfortunately building something interesting around every corner takes copious amounts of improvisational skill and planning both and sometimes i would say that the weakness of sandbox games is that you can get kind of lost in the grass without um 
a strong sense of internal narrative that drives player participation, there can sometimes be a, a loss of what I'd say is like narrative investment. If you are involved in a series of a series of small events and nothing is really set in stone as your main plot line, sometimes you can run into problems where the players will investigate things that are just by their nature not as interesting as some of the other stuff that you actually had planned. Oh, absolutely. And I think what that can be mitigated by is if your players are more interested in playing for a story or if they are very invested in these particular characters mm. and if it's the latter and you are running them in a sandbox world and they are coming back session after session just because they purely love playing this game with these characters there is that instinct there's that thought in the back of your head to protect the characters which can up to a certain point be useful because you don't want to push your players away by say dropping one of them down a pit trap and oops now this character that you've invested all of these hours and all of this thought into is dead but on the other hand if you don't build in the stakes then playing this invincible untouchable hero person or whatever sort of game you're running it stops having that same appeal as it did when everything was just a little bit too dangerous. And we've talked about player death a little bit, but we can probably devote an episode to the ends of characters um, a little oh, ways yeah. down the line. And I think that's a good topic. Uh, in my opinion, uh, an excellent game has elements of both a railroad and, an op and a sense of openness to it. Uh, you want to take from the idea of the railroad a um, an overlying narrative direction, um, dramatic beats, uh, stakes, and ideas that that kind of that kind of fit themselves into the overall arcing narrative of your world. And from the openness, you want to bring in not the illusion of choice, but the actual power of choice and for the players to be able to direct their response to the tracks that you've laid out. I like to view games, at least for me personally, as a wide open landscape with many different uh, with many different track exchanges where you can go off the rails for a little bit but you will eventually find another rail. Or perhaps it is that you can go off the rails from what the main plot might have been, and eventually you'll find your way back to another juncture that'll take you to the track. This... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think that's that's sort of the way that I have learned how to do it uh, in more recent games that I've been running, where mm -hmm. essentially what I'm trying to do is not build a sandbox or one rail, it's like I'm trying to build four different tracks that go to the same places. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's like giving the players not necessarily this wide open expanse to run around in, because what I realized is that can actually feel directionless if you are not mm -hmm. signposting things very well. Uh, so what I end up doing is saying, like, all right, you have these main choices 
And oftentimes my players will surprise me and they will still do something that I didn't really anticipate. But the power of the way that I've been planning games lately is even if I don't anticipate that choice, I have planned for something close enough to it that I can adjust. The strength of a DM kind of lies in their ability to work on the fly. Uh, it's not that you need to improvise every aspect of your game, but you do need to work on your improvisational skills to allow for player error uh, and the things that players will do that surprise you. Now, honestly, that's that's why I play these games. That's why I run them. My enjoyment comes from things that I don't know will happen. Um, how they're going to interact with NPCs, how they're going to take the plot elements and either misinterpret them or interpret them in a direction that I am not fully aware of. I think those are often the best moments. Yeah. And that may not be your gaming experience of the things that you look forward to in a game, but I find that player involvement tends to be more robust when the DM is flexible and can allow things to kind of push up against their plans go in different directions, and they're just willing to roll with the improvisation of it. I had this one con game that I was in, um, one of you know the worst con games that I'd ever been in. They were, they were playing a module, uh, and part of the, part of the module uh, was we were having some sort of a fight next to a cliff. There were slaves that were chained together, were being thrown off, and we were supposed to kill all the people and free the slaves. And instead of killing everybody, you know, my character and another character instead incapacitated one of them and tied them to a tree with the chain uh, and tried to interrogate them. They weren't willing to talk about it, so we're like, "All right, well, we're going to go and do this next scene. We're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and leave you here for a little while, uh, just to think about just to think about your life. And we're going to come back and we're going to ask you questions later." Uh, and you're going to answer our questions. And so while the rest of the party was uh, deciding to do this other thing, we were like, all right, we're going to go back and, and interrogate this person. And the DM was like, can't split the party. You just don't want to do that. And I was like, all right, well, we're not going to just leave that guy tied to the tree. We're going to go out and at least make sure that he gets out of there uh, or gets turned over to the proper authorities. And when we went out there, um, some of his buddies, uh, other buddies had shown up that were stronger than the main boss at the end of the game, and uh, our characters got turfed. And it was like, that's what you get for splitting the party. And I was like, okay, that's that's kind of very de-incentivizing for me to play my character. Uh, that That's, you know, if you didn't have a plan for having these guys give information, that's that's fine. You could have had, you could have had anything happen while we were gone. Could have come back and just said, oh, looks like somebody cut him out of the chains. He's not there. You didn't have to punish us for taking the initiative to try a different narrative direction with our characters. Yeah, see, I think that's one of the weaknesses that is inherent in playing modules. Uh, and there's also a whole different layer there of like DMs abusing power and playing games in cons and why we play the games in the first place. But I really want to like just kind of focus down on what is probably the smallest part of that particular situation, but also the most relevant to us right now. Modules, just by their nature of being a pre-written campaign, do not typically allow for much deviation. I'd say that it actually depends on the DM that's running it. 
because you can take a look at the source material and the module itself and say, okay, here's where I think I can put in some wiggle room on how they gain this information. Here's how I think uh, this NPC could react differently. Once again, it kind of comes down to your ability to be flexible within the constraints of the narrative itself to kind of give your players the experience that they need. And if you know the module well enough and you feel comfortable enough with it, you can lead them back to it even if they sort of deviate. And I absolutely agree. I just know... Well, I have not played with these people in particular, but I know of people through the various gaming friends that I have and stories that I've heard where there are certain people out there who enjoy running games for the simulationist aspect of it, not mm. necessarily for the narrative aspect, Sure, who will, regardless of like story significance or player involvement or character investment or any of this, they will not deviate from the book mm -hmm. so if the book says you go into this dungeon at this time at this level you can guarantee that if you're playing in that game you will be at that level and at that time you will go into that dungeon and personally it's not really it's not really my cup of tea i would understand the um the value and i have played modules that i found were very valuable in getting to know new players uh, to kind of find out what their flexibility within the within the storyline is, how their choices might fit within something that, you know, it was designed to be a one-shot. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that modules are bad, just that usually I don't use them. If there's like a module source book for a game that, that comes out, unless there's a lot of material in, uh, material in there of um, kind of basic rules that I would like to use in my own game, I generally don't buy it because I'll, I, won't run the, I won't run the actual module myself. Um, yeah, I'm very much the same way. Yeah. I, I mean, some people really enjoy running things through the module and, and find some comfort in that somebody has done the work to uh, pace out where the beats in a story should be and and where player involvement should be. And often, and most often, these modules have been tested time and time and time again with group by group by group by group mm -hmm. uh, in order to streamline the player's enjoyment and give everybody a chance to shine. Um, modules are, are perfectly fine and viable for you know, a yeah. role-playing game. It just, well, it depends on your story, storyteller, honestly. And I don't want to give the impression that I think modules are bad. I mean, I'm kind of working on turning these campaigns that I'm running into a module of their own so that I can, you know, bundle that up and share it with listeners and friends and, you know, anybody who wants it. I think modules can be great, but I think a slavish adherence to the module... I think it restricts everyone involved. Even if you are really focused on like, hey, I really love the story that comes in this prepackaged, pre-built game, and I want to tell this story with you. Part of playing the game is improvising because mm. chances are your players, regardless of who they are, Hopefully they don't know the module as well as the DM. Otherwise, that kind of takes away a lot of the fun of playing it. Mm. It's very true. And what you might consider also, especially if it's a new group or a new system, and, and some way that I've seen some storytellers play it, is to begin on a railroad and then open it up. Start with a module to get everybody kind of familiar with the game and the system. And then at the end of the module 
then the world opens up and you decide where you're going after that. And that's also a perfectly viable way to to handle things, especially if you're dealing with an entirely new tabletop system or an entirely new group and you're not entirely sure um, what the players will value or even how to run certain aspects of combat and uh, other aspects of the game itself, it can be instructive to try it out that way. And, And also, beginnings are hard. Beginnings can be very hard in a game, and I would love to go into talking about that too at some point in time. Um, Cool, two topics out of this one. This is nice. Um, So having somebody else, i.e. the writers of the module, worry about writing the beginning for you can can take a whole load of stress off of a, a new DM solo, or even a seasoned DM, depending on how much time you have devoted to writing up your new beginning, whatever your real life looks like. Um, Absolutely. What I want to get around to saying is that I don't think that adhering to uh, a purist standpoint on railroads or sandboxes are necessarily the way that I find my most enjoyment. I find that you taking the I find that taking the strengths of both approaches allow for a more immersive experience in the game. And not only does it feel like you could go anywhere and do anything within this world that if you wanted to, you could go and talk to an NPC and find an entirely different plot line to be involved with, but there's also a sense that even if you find a bunch of different plot lines eventually by whatever convention you have, fate, destiny, or the machinations of a god, or however you want to pull it, you will be led back to some aspect of the main plot, some piece that you are involved in, some investment that um, you are keyed into. So dramatic moments and... uh, upping the ante on where the plot is and and how ex, you know and how necessary it is to solve all of those beats will happen the plot will continue with or without you but you will be given as many opportunities as you need to gear into it from different directions so you can still feel as though you are setting the pace on how you interact with that story mhm i want to uh, i want to kind of slip into my final thoughts on this by talking about a game that I finally played since the last time we talked. Mm. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to be in a session of Swords Without Master. Ah. Dire Ravishals. Not new, because it's been out for a while, but lesser known game. And that one is purely narrative focused like there is no simulationist stuff in it like you only have two dice and the dice determine the mood not what's happening i talked about it um a lot over the last couple of episodes oh yeah definitely Uh, and actually having played in it now i realized that that game is a sandbox that every player is creating at the same time because you don't necessarily have a DM telling the story. You've got the overplayer who is kind of guiding things down a certain track, but at any given time, if I want to, I can just, like, I can put the big bad on the field as a player 
and cleft them in twain with a single mighty blow of my axe. Like, (laughs) there is no formula for that particular game in determining, like, what is the overarching narrative? Because you are all creating it at the same time. And if I think there's something more interesting here than what we have been given or what we've been shown... I have all of the power, no matter where I am sitting at that table, as long as I was the last one to roll the dice, I have the power to say, "Mm, we're going to focus on this. And I think that is both exciting and terrifying from a standpoint of how open or how focused do you want a campaign to be, because it takes that (laughs) question and turns it on its head, and it says, no... This is not something that the storyteller or the DM or the GM or the overplayer or anybody decides on their own. How open or focused do you want this story to be as a whole? I think there's a really valuable lesson in there and uh, some valuable content in the amount of player involvement and the collaboration of where world building goes and where story elements go and how some games are very open to it saying you know saying it isn't a dm that's over everybody else instead it's a collaborative story that every player is telling at the same time and then there are some games that say it is just the dm's responsibility kind of breaking out of the mold of that idea of the dm players into just players collaborative to collaboratively telling a story is an interesting subversion of the traditional genre of the role-playing games that we are maybe most familiar with that I think is absolutely fascinating because in a certain element, in a certain sense, and I mean, really, honestly, we're all telling a collaborative story. The question is how much control do we have over that story? It depends on the roles that we're playing. And, um, I think an important lesson to take away from that is that if those games can be successful, then those elements can be married into your own storylines and your own table. Maybe you might allow a player of yours at the table to say, hey, I had a really cool idea that I think would fit into your world. Would you mind if I talked about it or presented it to you? And and maybe you let them create an entire other continent. And maybe they take over the story for a little while. Or maybe you play within their world and they're just happy for you to use their material. We all have investment, innate investment in the story that is being told. And the more you allow your players to have that kind of investment within your story and your game, the more often they're gonna come back to your table eager to play again, because it is less just your story and more all of your story. Exactly. I mean, that's that's really what I was getting to, I think from the beginning is just this idea of if you are or rather, regardless of whether or not you are running this linear railroad narrative or this open-world sandbox exploration experience, the most important thing is to make sure that your players feel like they always have a say in the direction of the campaign. Whether or not that is by actually literally choosing the way that it goes in the super open I decide nothing and we all go forward together 
or in crafting that I keep coming back to illusion of choice and I don't think that's exactly accurate for what I want to describe but that is the phrase that I'm going to use um it shouldn't necessarily be an illusion but as long as you are giving them this idea that whatever they do matters even if it really doesn't I think you have to let your players feel that personal investment in your story in order for everyone to have as good a time as possible. I think a good analogy to use for this would be even if you're running a game on a track, it's better to let your players feel more like the conductors than the passengers. Ah, profound. <laughs> No problem. That's that's why I'm here. I like it. Now, Colin, I yes. think we have said I think we've said some good pieces on the railroad versus the sandbox. Absolutely, we had a and sandbox approach to this. I would love to hear from our lovely listeners about their thoughts on this topic. Do you like running railroaded games or do you like giving your players a sandbox or do you try to, as I think Colin and I both expressed, hit somewhere in between? Or do you perceive an entirely different kind of game that we didn't even discuss? Oh, I would love to hear about that. I would love that so much. Colin, how would they let us know? Well, they could let us know on a whole number of different mediums. They could let us know on Facebook. Uh could. <laughs> Uh, is Dodeca Podcast or Dodecahedron? It is Dodeca Podcast. Yes, it is all Dodeca Podcast now. It's Dodeca Podcast on Facebook. Or, Jess, what's the next thing they, they could reach out also, to? Also, they could tweet us at Podcast Dodeca. Twitter is the only weird one. Podcast Dodeca on Twitter, but everything else is Dodeca Podcast. That's right. Everything else includes our email dodecapodcast at gmail.com or Instagram our, at dodecapodcast or Tumblr at dodecapodcast <laughs> please come come to us with anything that you're thinking of if you have ideas for our future episodes if you have things you want us to discuss if you have something that you wanted to lay into us about uh, that we put into like episode 2 or 3 please we'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts and happy to discuss them on the podcast itself most definitely. Now, Colin, this is a question that didn't come in through email or Twitter or anything else like that, but I was asked to pose to you. Ooh, okay. So, recently, I was running a game, and one of my players in a conversation with an NPC offhandedly asked, So, uh, how do I contact you? What's your email? And as the DM in this fantasy setting, I was like, Oh, so my player has said email exists. I'm going to roll with it. And so now ethereal mail exists in that world, and it is a recurring gag, but also a useful little tool that my players have at their disposal. Oh, lovely. The question is this. When you are posed a, uh, a strange or anachronistic thing by your players making an in-universe joke how do you respond to it i suppose that depends entirely upon the nature of the joke itself 
if it's innocuous enough that it can fit within the setting of the world without causing too many changes, I'd say it gets in there. If not, it still becomes a joke at the table. All right. So, case by yeah. case basis. It is a case by case basis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the open ended nature of that question kind of demanded that it be. I mean, I've seen, you know, some pretty interesting creative ideas that are brought down to the table and then, uh, you know, that they got their way into the narrative. And I've seen stuff that just became an ongoing joke. A Warhammer game we were playing, we joked about Terra Burger. And I think the DM was just really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> now, why would you be annoyed by that? Hey, I, I don't know. My character definitely wanted to do a, a toy deal with with Terra Burger meals. And it was... I like it. Yeah. I, it was a little bit of brevity uh, in this, in the, you know, a, a, oh, sorry, not brevity. A little bit of levity in the, in the scope of the game is, uh, is preferable to uh, grim dark all the time. I think that actually leads us into our third topic that we have talked about today where it's like eventually i'm gonna want to talk about comic relief in games Mm-hmm. i've actually got a guest for that i think oh beautiful yeah we need to start getting some guests on absolutely now but go ahead i think this is gonna have to do it for me today i'm gonna mm-hmm. have to roll out pretty quick yeah no i'm with you. So thank you all for listening from everybody here at Dodeca Podcast. We appreciate your patronage, your questions, and your curiosity. May your games be, may your games be awesome. May you roll on. Bye.